Welcome to Archie Digest, the Riverdale podcast. It's a podcast about a story about a town, but we are smack dab in the middle of hiatus. Riverdale is gone until March 30th, and it hurts. But we're still here anyway to talk about the show. We've got some fun stuff lined up. I'm Chris Hayner. I'm from ScreenerTV.com, and alongside me is... Craig Byrne from KSiteTV.com. And Russ Burlingame from ComicBook.com. All right, and since we don't have a new episode to chat about just yet, although thank God we will soon enough, we're going to talk a little Grundy, because now that the Grundy cat is out of the bag and people have had time to reflect, uh, Russ, I believe there's been some interesting reactions. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, and, and the reason I wanted to kind of bring this back up again, even though it's a lot of people's least favorite element of the show, and even though it's it's over as far as we can tell, is as somebody who's constantly talking about how much I love Riverdale and constantly kind of being an ambassador for this show to people, both in my work life and on my personal Facebook, I've seen a bunch of people say things like, you know, that looked kind of good, but I watched the first episode and he was screwing his teacher and I just, I, I couldn't do it. It's too disgusting. And, and so I'm not going to watch that show ever now. And that was weird. The first, like the first time I saw that, I was like, I, I mean, I kind of get that, but it seems like you really kind of jumped the gun on a good show for one kind of plot point. But I've heard that multiple times. And so I kind of, with no new episode to discuss and a little bit of benefit of hindsight, I wanted to kind of ask you guys whether you thought, on the whole, the decision to do the Grundy story in the first season of Riverdale was a storytelling mistake on the part of the writers. Well, it's interesting you bring it up because um, I just showed the Riverdale pilot to a friend of mine about a week ago, and he actually didn't like the pilot at all, but the part where he decided, okay, I want to turn this off is when the Grundy's part came on because he's like, this is really derivative. I've seen it on Dawson's Creek. I've seen it on a bunch of other shows. I don't need this, basically. And I, I kind of wonder if they realized it didn't really fly so well since they kind of shoveled her off the board fairly quickly. So, yeah, I mean, and I know at TCA there were a few people who were like, yeah, didn't they establish that he's a sophomore, so he's 15? So that made it a little weird. I... I'm I'm a, I'm of a weird mind about it. Is it derivative? Sort of. But what I find interesting is that Pete, someone would find this so off-putting that they wouldn't watch the show, but something like Freeform's Pretty Little Liars isn't necessarily a companion to this, but I feel like they're on the same wavelength and they're shooting for a lot of the same audience. Features a long-running story of a girl and a male teacher who started a relationship together and now they're getting ready to walk down the aisle. And, like, it's it's an interesting line to draw for me. And I think what makes it stand out amongst things like Dawson's Creek is that the teacher was revealed to not be so... It wasn't a forbidden romance. That Riverdale lulled you into thinking it was a forbidden romance, but at the end of the day, what it was is a predator was was pouncing on her prey. And that's something we talked about a little bit. And part of the reason that I, I'm so surprised that so many people have been 
kind of unilateral about this, that like, nope, not doing it, is that I really felt like this is a story that's kind of gross and in bad taste, but it's a thing that happens both in real life and on television a lot. And I felt like the Riverdale writers did as good a job handling it as I have seen. Because you didn't, I mean, you didn't immediately just jump right into the, like, she's a horrible, totally disgusting and unsympathetic person. Like, they did try to make it almost seem like they were going to do the forbidden love angle. Mm -hmm. But then by, like, episode three, they were just like, oh, no, this is clearly not a good situation. And the more people got involved, it's like literally nobody was, I don't know. I felt like at no point did it feel like Archie knew what he was talking about and everybody else was being unreasonable, which is how I think these things often get spun on television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, fe- I felt like that was to the credit of the writers. I really felt like, you know, you hit it on the head by saying like, no, she was clearly a predator. Like this was clearly a story that they did, they explored for a specific dramatic impact and not for titillation. Right. But at the same time, the if someone was turned off by it in the pilot, didn't follow through, I can't really blame them because they don't, they subtly make nods to it being that, that sort of relationship in the pilot. But for the most part, they, they sort of dance around the idea and they make it seem like it's this naughty, sexy, forbidden thing. When in reality, it's not. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about that a little bit last episode or the episode before, the idea that there are certain things in the pilot that get set up that it's hard to tell whether they wanted to leave doors open to go a different way or whether they always knew where they were going to go with things, and it's just that that's, that's the cost of doing a pilot months before you do the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I do think they – I do agree that they handled it very well, though, in that you know they didn't portray her as sympathetic in the least – which was probably a wise choice. So Yeah, and I mean, I do think... I know a lot of people, including some of the people who are big, big like listeners to our show, um, like I think Betty and Juggy, when we tweeted something about uh, Grundy the other day, they were like, nope! Nope, <laughs> keep her out of here. So I know a lot of people feel like you don't ever want to see that character in that storyline again, which is fair. I also think that the way that they did it, from a writing perspective, leaves things open. Like you don't totally, you don't feel bad for her in any way, but if we were to assume for the sake of argument that her story is actually real and that she had an abusive husband someplace, there's a decent chance that he could be somehow wrapped up in Jason Blossom's murder, or and that she was, or at least, or that she is right. And and like to me, I think that the fact that you know we are seven episodes in as of the last episode that aired. And two weeks ago when we had Lindsay on from Screener, she was saying that she still thought Grundy was a legit suspect. In spite of the fact that Grundy hasn't been seen since episode four. Like, that tells me that in terms of building a murder mystery, this whole storyline at least wasn't entirely a mistake. Because you've, at the at a bare minimum, created a really good red herring with a character who people know is kind ah, of despicable. Pun intended. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> you know. Uh, Communism did, is just a red herring. She did. She did. You know, tutor two redheads. So true. Yeah. Um. 
I mean, yeah, I think there's a lot of, and also it kind of, from a story perspective, gave a point of Archie not being able to admit where he was and why, because then he would be admitting the Grundy thing and she was pressuring him not to. So there's that extra level, but I mean, I would think if I didn't, if I wasn't pretty sure that Grundy wasn't coming back, I would think she was totally coming back and that she has a major role in whatever happened to Jason Blossom. If she Mm -hmm. doesn't come back, obviously she didn't, but... Right. Yeah. Or did she? Da, da, da. But what if she didn't? (laughs) What if Sheriff Keller is her abusive ex-husband? I quit. Oh, no. (laughs) That would mean she was sleeping with someone her son's age. That's true. Yeah, no. No. She doesn't have a son. She could be Kevin Keller's mother. Oh. Yeah. Not only is she sleeping with someone her son's age, she's sleeping with one of her son's friends. (laughs) <laughs> gosh Grundy although I feel like it probably <laughs> yeah I, I feel like that probably would have been referenced at some point but you know you never know the only other thing that I, you know is kind of a negative though about the whole Grundy relationship is now it feels like the real Miss Grundy is completely off the board for the show and since Miss Grundy has always been a major character of the Archie Comics canon that's a little unfortunate yeah yes, that, but like, at the same time a show like this on the CW can only really have room for so many senior citizen characters true but I don't know we have Weatherby's there Pop Tate is there sometimes <laughs> When he feels like it. And they don't yeah. call him Pops, at least. That's yeah, true. Thanks That's God. <laughs> Spoilers, guys. We we just recorded this literally moments after we finished the To Riverdale and Back Again episode. So we're still kind of uh, burned by that's, that experience. That's like... That's the opposite of spoilers. Yeah, which you can find wow. at archidigest.podbean.com. last week. <laughs> oh, People okay. are still complaining that, that... People still complain about spoilers if it's only a week old. There. Did you know Betty and Jughead kissed? Oh boy, did they ever. I just yeah, I just spoiled people. Sorry. Jason Blossom's dead and I think Sheriff Keller killed him. I don't. <laughs> anyway. You know yeah. Jason used to going, like, just to sort of from from my at, at least from my last words on the Grundy of it all. I appreciated the way they handled the story compared to the way it's been handled other times on TV. Did they need to do this story? No. But, you know, pilots do what pilots do. And it made, it, let's be honest, it's the most interesting thing Archie's done so far, which doesn't say a lot about Archie, but that's kind of the whole point of Archie. So it's, is it was it perfect? No, of course it wasn't. It didn't have to happen, but the way it happened worked out really well, I thought. If, but if it was enough to turn people off, then that's fine. That just happens sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair, like, I think that's a fair assessment. One of the things that's, now, when I think back on it, I remember being kind of turned off by that element in the initial plot description. And I can't remember if that was mostly because I was annoyed that they would blow something like that in the initial plot description versus (laughs) letting it play out in the episode. Um, But I will say that as much as it was not a thing I particularly had any interest in going in, and probably it's not a thing that I would ever put in a pilot I was writing, certainly I think they handled it as well as they could. And it's one of those things, like, at a bare minimum, you know, if we're saying, was it a poor storytelling choice on the part of the writers? You could probably say, at the end of the day, Roberto didn't need to do this, and a lot of people would have preferred that it was never on the show to begin with. And that's totally fair. In terms of what the writer's room was handed, they were handed a pilot script where this was a major part of the the plot. And I think that 
you know, from that point forward, they did as well with it as you could possibly expect them to do. Yeah. And the show quickly moved away from it. I mean, as soon as Grundy was gone, the very next episode, Archie and Valerie started getting close. And I think that was a lot more appropriate and a lot better. But, you know, somebody would have to stay through episode five to see that. And hopefully, I really hope people end up binging this show and just seeing how good it is. That's all I want in life. Well, but also, I think think it's safe for us to say, I think, I I don't think it's delving too much into spoiler territory, but the show... While we won't see Sarah Havel back this season as Grundy, the show will touch back on that storyline sort of directly. I don't I don't it's it's I don't know how to how to phrase it without spoiling it, but like the show isn't just gonna mysteriously forget that Archie had an affair with his predator teacher. Yeah. Even I think if you we know don't more than I do. see that predator in person. Oh, I might. <laughs> we could talk about yeah. an affair. <laughs> Grundy's the killer. No, dun, dun, dun. Well, teacher killer, not sheriff killer, teacher killer, anyway. psycho killer. All right. Thanks, gentlemen, for this chat. Uh, this is a weird episode because, as, as we said, there's no Riverdale this week. From this point forward, I'm kind of flying solo. I'm going to have a little assist from my co-host on the Emerald City Video Podcast. It's part one of a two-part crossover with that podcast looking at, well, we'll get to that after this message from my good friends at the From Crisis to Crisis podcast. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is, and we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... You know what? I I just can't do this. Can't do what? We have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's, it's just not fair. So we're not going to joke around, and we're going to simply say that for the moment, we're back, and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like Season 2 of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman the Man of Tomorrow. And the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> the show can still be found at the Superman homepage, as well as at the Fortress of Bailytude. And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.fortressofbailytube.com, www.supermanhomepage.com, or www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. We're back, everybody. And uh, a little something different uh, in this episode. Well, I mean, a little something different is kind of (laughs) the name of the game in this episode, but... uh, Particularly, uh, let me introduce all of our listeners to Zach Roberts. Hello. Zach is one of my co-hosts, and I would say by far the most regular co-host on the Emerald City Video Podcast. And that is a podcast I've talked about almost every episode of the Archie Digest podcast. But if Archie Digest is a podcast about a story about a town, Emerald City Video is a podcast about a bunch of people who worked at the video store. <laughs> True. And basically, uh, there was a, a video store here in Syracuse, you know, years ago. And myself and everybody who has been a host on the Emerald City Video Podcast were at one point or another employees there, including Zach. We do a podcast where we talk about movies, and typically our format is that we'll talk about one new movie and one old movie thing. We used to do at the video store where we had a, like a rent one get one deal if you paid full price on anything. So. 
you know, you would get a new release and you could get an older movie for free. But this time, because we have a a fairly limited amount of time for this exciting two-show crossover, (laughs) I wanted to talk a little bit about Deidre and Lainey Rob a Train, which just came out on March 17th on Netflix. Nobody noticed it because Iron Fist came out and everybody was busy bitching about that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but this movie was actually enjoyable, and that, that's a thing that unfortunately probably will end up getting largely buried. But Zach, why don't you kick us off? Why, uh, you can explain to, to the audience here why we decided that this was a movie we needed to talk about on our very special episode of Archie Digest. <laughs> well, it's a special crossover episode because uh, Ashley Murray is the star of the show. So, or this, the movie, sorry, it's not a show. You know, it's, it's funny, Amazon Prime and Amazon does movies really well. Netflix, I, I'm trying to think of like, other than a, a couple documentaries, I'm trying to think of the last movie from Netflix that I watched that I enjoyed. And I'm blanking. They do TV shows really, really well. Like I haven't watched one of Netflix's TV shows yet and not at least enjoyed it. I, it's at, at minimum as good as good as one of the better network shows. But this is this is a like this is a solid solid. It definitely has an indie feel to it. Independent film. Yeah, and it's I, I loved it. It's it's a lot of fun. It has it has that uh, you know film that I think that I don't know if exists anymore in the I had the thirteen fourteen. 12 maybe i don't know like uh the the kind of the heist film <laughs> uh for kids you know like whether it be goonies or or something like that obviously this is not i wouldn't compare this to goonies but it's a very different vibe but you know the the film that you know basically where a bunch of kids tell the the adults they where they can stick it yeah and and they end up you know outsmarting them and uh you know the main adult here that oh well, not the main uh kid here <laughs> uh is ashley murray from another fantastic uh show and that's riverdale yeah and my obligatory and this will this will fulfill the obligation of emerald city video uh <laughs> talking about an older movie um and also uh, uh something that happens almost every episode of both podcasts yeah. If you noticed, one of her teachers, Missy Pyle, who's a recognizable character actor to anybody who, you know, is into a lot of indie film and even some really mainstream stuff. I think she was in Legally Blonde. Yeah. But uh, Missy Pyle was Alexandra Cabot in the 2001 Josie and the Pussycats movie. Oh, my God. So it's kind of uh, it's interesting that we have Josie starring in a movie. It's true. With Alexander Cabot. I believe, particularly from the credits that say introducing both of the two main female leads, that Ashley probably had not yet landed Riverdale at the time when this movie was in production. Yeah. Although, by the time the movie was being promoted, because they didn't really start pushing it at all until, like, January, every piece of anything that I saw, Riverdale's Ashley Murray. So... (laughs) Just jumping into the, the conceit of it, basically what happens is that there's a family that is living essentially on the margins of society. They're literally on the wrong side of the tracks in the sense that they are a poor family who live within like spitting distance of a railroad track. And the first scene of the movie is that uh, the teenage daughter, which is Ashley Murray's character, Deirdre or Deidre, excuse me, not Deirdre. Deidre takes her younger sister, Lainey and her younger brother, Jet to pick up their mom at work because her mom apparently has wrecked the car. And you get the sense that the mom is kind of a screw up, even just from those first couple of lines of dialogue. Yeah. But then the, the, like the premise for this film becomes a serious, serious downer because almost like they get there (laughs) and she's being dragged away from the cops after having 
essentially thrown a big screen TV at a police officer. <laughs> yeah, it definitely uh, one might say uh, goes <laughs> off the track. Goes off the tracks. Um, yeah. Sorry, I, I thought you were going for that, and then when you oh, didn't, okay. I was like, okay, I gotta go. No, for that. No, no. But it's it's because totally. like yeah, that moment in the film, it, it it's it's definitely the moment where I'm like, oh, this is gonna be uh, a very different film than I thought it was because. It, it, still play, it was still playing with like a little bit of the comic nature because everybody has their cell phones out as they would, you know, like if there was a yeah. woman freaking out holding a, tel- a big screen TV over her head and threatening people with it, everybody would be, you know, having their phone out. But I, I thought it was going to go in a very like, oh, this is going to be like a little more dark indie, you know, film because I, I, actually, I didn't watch any trailer, didn't read anything. Uh, yeah. I only literally, Russ, you told me, oh, you got to watch this film. It's really great. And we'll do a thing about it. And I was like, oh, okay, sir. I like her. She's, she's super awesome in the, in the, sh- uh, in Riverdale. So, and also the, you know, literally the, the imagery of it, uh, it seemed interesting, but, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's a moment where if you're watching, you think it's going to go one way and then it, it, it goes a little that way. And then it kind of, I, I, I got to stop with the railroad metaphor. So I won't. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and and I think one of the interesting, you know, and then the the like the resolution to this, or not really the resolution, but the the end of the kind of premise, is that who is I don't know, maybe sixteen or seventeen for the purposes of the movie, because she's definitely not eighteen, because there's a whole plot point about CPS being being there, but Deidre has to essentially yeah. care for her siblings in the absence of her mom. Their father is out of the picture, and you, you meet him pretty early, but he's not really a factor in the first half of the film yeah and in, in fact seems to be legally not allowed to be around um based on one offline that uh, that i remember <laughs> yeah yeah there were several references to uh, like i get the impression that when their relationship broke up he, he and the mother yeah that that he got she got a restraining order against him yeah <laughs> but it's an interesting that, that's like he's an interesting character it's it's weird because Everything in the first half of the movie feels kind of it feels like stuff that you've all seen before with kind of the the loser uh deadbeat dad and the like kind of really self involved mom and they actually really play with some of those conventions really effectively in the second half of the movie about forty five minutes in you get this kind of revelation about her like what is going on in her mom's head, yeah. And it totally changes that entire character. Yeah. Because you're watching this and you're, you're getting the, oh, so this is what the scenario is. Mother goes to prison. O- the oldest daughter has to, you know, kill her dreams off and, and do and basically take care of the kids. And yeah, <laughs> it definitely starts, starts to go off in a different direction about halfway through the film, which is, which is, which is really fun. Yeah, it's actually interesting. There's a, there's a line that seemed kind of throwaway at the time, but then became a big kind of turning point for some of the characters where the mom tells Lainey about how she had been like a beauty queen and they wanted her to be a reality TV star. And essentially her dreams got derailed because, and that was intentionally unintentional again. Um, (laughs) But uh, you know, her, her dreams got pulled off track because she got pregnant. And so having, her behavior essentially forced Deidre into that same role is kind of a weird piece of kind of parallel storytelling. Yeah. Um, and there's some, there's a lot of that actually. There's, there's a, a fair amount of parallel storytelling where it's, you know, the thing that you, 
Uh, the other example that I would that I would give is uh, there were two different instances, one from her mom and one from uh, her kind of career counselor at school. Yeah, where they have a uh, the same line within about fifteen minutes of each other, which is that's not what I meant by that, or yeah. you know that's not what I meant. And uh, yeah. one of those cases, it's pretty clear that that is indeed what they meant, and that the person is just trying to get out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but having again, it's kind of like setting up this thing where these kids are kind of functioning as their own little unit and there are no reliable adults around them. Like one of the things we've talked about in Riverdale is the idea that Jughead might not be a reliable narrator because he's got his own kind of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. That's fine for a TV show because it adds drama and it adds intrigue and it allows for the possibility that people are being misinterpreted or misconstrued and that's how you see things like polly being a totally different character when she arrives than you expected when she was mentioned but if you're a kid and all the adults in your life are pulling this well that's not what i meant by that yeah (laughs) then that's not exactly good No, no, it's it's uh, definitely. I mean, while while we're talking about um, it, it, it's making me think of uh, uh, the uh, series of unfortunate events where you have the again where you have yeah. adults that are completely. I, I don't know about completely incompetent, but complete. You know, I mean, like the the guidance counselor is uh, at best checked out and at worst incompetent, <laughs> and you know, and then yeah. you have and then you have the oh my God, I'm blinking on the uh, damn it the actor's name you're talking about tim roth the railroad cop uh not it's not tim roth it's uh um no, tim blake nelson sorry yeah tim blake nelson yeah yeah everything actually the it actually reminds me the the big the big movie that this is this is really comparable to is uh holes for me that's a not, really good comparison yeah not not only because i believe tim blake isn't tim blake nelson in that <laughs> as well I think so, yeah um <laughs> But again, where you have these kind of uber smart kids, or at least one very smart kid um, who is going up against, you know, the the people who are trying to keep not not only keeping them down, but, you know, misjudging them either not necessarily because of their color, but because of their their place where they live and and everything. I mean, like literally one of the stereotypes in it is that they live right next to the railroad track. Um, and that's one of the reasons why things happen. <laughs> I literally, I, I don't want to get too much into it. Yeah. Not that there's not like a lot of spoilers type of thing. And yes, he was in holes. I was correct. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I, I think it's safe that we can tell people that Deidre and Lainey rob a train because that's the, yeah. that's the film. Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, the investigation and, and things that go on into that there's there's it's it's not spoilers it's so much as uh, there's a not necessarily spoilers there but things that are like really fun when you find out them as they come along in the plot so i always think yeah the other the other the other film that i find a compare racing arizona since yeah. you know this is what yeah, this is what we do we can basically do a five for five on this <laughs> but uh you know it's it's very it's very cohen brothers and that's not just because tim blake nelson is in it um uh but uh it's it it has a bit of a Coen Brothers vibe. I think that actually, if like if the Coen Brothers did like were able, did like a rewrite on the script, yeah. it probably would be a huge. It, it wouldn't just be a Netflix film; would be out in theaters and and be big. But yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> one thing that I will say, uh, you, you touched on it a little bit. Racing class is kind of weird in this movie, and in a good way for the most part. It's one of the few kind of movies with an indie sensibility. And uh, movies that are trying to kind of say something about society where the lead is poor and black, but a lot of her journey is more about poverty 
than about the black experience. Yeah. Well, it's always, it's always for a couple of white guys to be like, Oh, that's a really cool exploration. Yeah. We've, this is a year where we've had a lot of really good films exploring the black experience. You have moonlight, you have, I'm not your Negro. So looking at a movie like this and saying like, Oh, this is kind of exploring the other side of that coin of like poor people living on the margins, you know, where she is a person of color, but that's not the primary thing operating against her or at least it's not the primary thing operating against her in this specific narrative well it's and, it, and it's uh, uh, it, and it's uh, because of the so the school that they're in it, this is like the first like eight minutes ten minutes of the film they kind of yeah. uh get you think is that no one goes to college from this school it's weirdly like it's not it, it, it it's also interesting in the fact that there is no place to this film <laughs> like there's the house uh that they're at the railroad tracks and the school so you don't know what this place is which is also super interesting because you don't it doesn't let you get any stereotypes on anything which is really great i don't know if this is in california i don't know if it's in the south nobody has we know it's we know it's in idaho because of the power oh Oh, yeah you're right it doesn't but, but it's so it's so so completely doesn't read like i i obviously i saw i not i saw that but like i it doesn't read as it doesn't read as any place which is super nice because you don't you know the fact that you see that many there's also like the school that they're in has a lot of minority people so i think maybe that also stereotypically yeah. uh or as to say people of color uh stereotypically like wipes out the idaho feel which i yeah, you know yeah. um which is you know Although which I, is, it, yeah. it had a very our our high school was like a a, a really mixed school it was i, I wouldn't say 50-50 of white and non-white students but i would say at least like it was a predominantly white school where at least 30% of the student body was non-white. Yeah. And I would say that's probably the mix that you're looking at in this movie yeah. is that it's, it, it's not the, again, in a lot of movies, when you have an underperforming school, it'll be chock a block with nothing but minorities, especially oh, yeah, if your lead yeah. characters are, 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 yeah, are is, non-white. This is, this is not a Michelle Pfeiffer film. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah. As evidenced by the fact that there are certain storytelling tropes that I kept expecting to happen throughout the course of this movie that didn't quite happen. The things that uh, I, I, I really expected the father to do certain things that like as you're watching the movie, you're just like, oh, okay, he's going to do that. Yeah. Uh, and, and in almost every case, you would see the like really obvious kind of thing that this sort of movie always does. Yeah. And this movie kind of turned turned right instead of turning left, um, which was a nice like it was a nice thing. To, it was a nice way to keep you kind of on your heels a little bit and uh, and not quite sure where the movie was going, because so many of the characters act in such a way that it feels like Goonies or it feels like Holes. It feels like a movie that you're familiar with and it feels like a movie that, you know. Yeah. And so you're just like, oh, okay, this sort of character always does X. And that, that's not what ends up happening. The one big exception I would say is Tim Blake Nelson's character. Yeah. Partially because my note about his character was characters where you know exactly what his personality is in the very first spoken line. Yeah, yeah. If you remember what his first spoken line was on camera, when you see him on the news <laughs> talking to a reporter about a train robbery... Yeah. They they say, now Mr. Truman, I, and he cuts them off and says, that's Detective Truman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy. Okay, yeah. great, got it. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, also, I will say, 
He's but, it, he's. <laughs> it's kind of like if you see Steve Buscemi in a film, you're like, yeah. ah, I'm pretty sure. I'm getting Steve Buscemi here. You know, if I see Nick Cage in a film, I'm pretty sure I'm getting Nick Cage, you know, especially at least in the last 10 years. But, you know, I mean, that's one of the things, I mean, like, I'm, I'm literally looking through Blake Nelson's, uh, Tim Blake Nelson's uh, thing, and I'm like, yeah, no, that's, yep, yep. That's him, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, that's him. I mean, even in Fantastic Four, he was kind of that guy, you know. Yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> Which is which is I freaking love Tim Blake Nelson. Uh, I, I think he the best thing ever he's done was Syriana, uh, where actually he actually did play a little little bit off character, off type. But yeah, I think the last big observation, and, and again, kind of staying away from spoilers, and I have a, a bunch of little trivia things that we can kind of run down once we're done talking about the the main points of it. But the the last kind of big thing narratively that that struck me was that this movie, and you, you, you mentioned this a little bit, you talked about this a little bit, has a kind of a, 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 an 80s, 90s action comedy vibe to it in the sense that the internal logic of this movie's resolution doesn't actually hold up. Yeah. But kind of, eh, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's satisfying storytelling, and so you kind of, you know, uh, I, I keep, I've been, I've been invoking the MST3K mantra a lot lately. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, this movie is not exactly an earthbound movie to begin with, so to speak. And, and so little things like the internal logic not holding up. If the story's good, eh, it doesn't really bother me that much. Yeah. I don't know if this, this, is a, this works as a off point, but I mean, one of the things, like I took a couple notes, the, the little, which is, again, is a very indie indie film thing. It had, there's a couple moments that almost reminded me of uh, Community. A little bit like when when they're plotting the the train robbery, <laughs> they <laughs> um, they make a poster board like uh, school presentations <laughs> of everything that they're planning. Yes, um, and like one of them is they have to raise because, as we say, you find out in the first like eight minutes or well, but like their mom's in jail, um, and so they have to raise the bail money, yeah. and so they have this like intricate. <laughs> it's your get like a uh, little like, oh, like, oh, a thermometer, like yeah, thermometer, thermometer thing yeah. and it's just like those little bits are, are amazing and then there's like there's one scene again like the, you'll you'll forget this by the time it gets there but one thing is that they're they, they have the and this is like another one of those actually that uh because there's a couple things in the film that that if you if you know poor if you know broke <laughs> I'll yeah. say broke, not poor, because they're not, they're not poor. Their mom has a job. They're doing okay. She's saving up money. You know, it's like, there are things like yeah. in their life that are, you know, they're not, they're, they're the people that are one page, clearly one paycheck away, you know, um, not to go like all yeah. Noam Chomsky on this film, which is a little over the top, but you know, you did, you did bring me on the, on this show. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what you expected. One thing I love is uh, there's like a lot of little things like their backpacks. Like if you, if you ever bet, if you like, you live in the inner city, you live in area, their backpacks that these type of, these kids have. And and again, that's not, it's not a, it's not a color thing. It's not a race thing. It's not a, it, it, it's again, it's a class thing that like these kids have this. And like one of them, uh, the, the, the middle kid has like, a, it's not a burlap, but it's a plastic burlap 
Um, I don't, I yeah. don't know how to describe it. Backpack. It's kind of like the, kind of like the bags that you get at Comic Con, almost and, like that. Yeah, that yeah, out of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm trying to think of more. Or if you go to IKEA, you get those big blue bags. Yeah, um, uh, yeah same material. It's yeah. like a vinyl thing that has like, uh, like a floss mesh yeah. kind of woven through it. And, and there's this great scene where she's she's being chased by somebody and she hides, <laughs> which you know in the shot it's very clear that she's hiding there. But she, she has this backpack on and she's hiding behind behind a bunch of trash, which the trash bags are those bags are mm-hmm. like those burlap plastic b- bags that you get. And and she's hiding and she be, is able to get away from it. And it's like there's it's. Uh, when you see it, you'll you'll understand why it reads. I mean, what I'm trying to explain it, it doesn't uh, doesn't yeah. definitely doesn't read as well as I wanted it to. But there's like these really really cute things throughout the whole film that again have that you know I, I think maybe I think maybe like Spielberg you know like the, those moments that like I was watching Indiana Jones again finally and there's like the there's all, kind of yeah there's all these little moments that that are very not not just I don't want to say 80s but like it shows the the care at which the filmmaker put into the film, you know, that, and it's a big difference between like, if this was yeah. a mainstream film, I, I don't believe that those things would be there in the same way that like, like the way that like I, I, I rewatched, uh, I rewatched the Indiana Jones film uh, this past weekend. And I was like, Holy crap. Spielberg used to care about his films you know and like those moments that like really showed that he understood the scene and the time and the the kind of everything and and wanted you to notice these little things that were like in the edge of the frame or whatever and and that's that's surprise that's one of those things that this this film does really well that kind of puts it out from any number of the kind of uh generic whether it be disney or generic teen kid films that come out you know 30 yeah. a year that you know 30 a year that never that goes straight to video or you never really pay attention to yeah exactly is is there any other big kind of big picture stuff that you want to talk about or should we run down kind of i have, I have a bunch of little observations that we can kind of uh, uh comment on joke about for you know <laughs> yeah no i i think that i mean i think that we've covered the ground on the on the 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 bigger picture things and and but this is such a there's 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 a couple big picture things on this film, but this film is 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 really held together really well by by kind of its 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 moments. Yeah, um, and, and it, there's a lot of really good performances in it. Yeah, uh, it definitely it, it kind of puts lie to one of the things that I, I think Riverdale and other shows on the CW are always fighting against, which is the idea of less famous or you know quote unquote CW type of actors yeah. not being as good because uh, yeah. not only is is Ashley playing Deidre, but also the woman who plays her mother, whose name I'm of course blanking on right now, plays Joe West's girlfriend on The Flash. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a weird. And again, uh, at the time of this movie going into production, there was no like there was no idea that oh yeah they're going to be working. You know, these guys are going to be working for Greg Berlanti on comic book TV shows at the same time. Yeah. And so it's 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 interesting to me that uh, you have all these people who kind of ended up randomly together, you know, the Missy Pyle connection and things, and and it's just kind of like, yeah, that's uh, that that's totally random coincidence. Yeah. But so, so some of the other little things that I got, and, and this this could merit some kind of a discussion. Was it only me, or did Jet as a character read like he was maybe on the 
autism spectrum? Uh, they're they're the she's explained they're uh, they're uh, the youngest kid. You know, it actually I, I could see that, but I also could see being the younger brother to two in very strong-willed older sisters because there's yeah. certainly it read like there was a bigger gap between the third between the the first between the first two and the and the third that could literally have just been me especially considering ashley is one of those actresses as we've discovered uh that uh uh, she, what is her age? <laughs> I think you said she was 27. No, no, no. That's, but I'm saying she's one of those oh, people okay. you look at and you go, like, if she had, if she put on different clothing, she, uh-huh. she's, she's a college student. In this film, she has high school kid clothing on. And yeah. she's a high school. Same thing with Riverdale. You know, I mean, she, Riverdale, even in, in her, uh, because obviously she wears a lot a lot different clothing because when she's pop, you know, being a pop star and everything, or pop musician, she wears different clothing. She reads reads a bit older. I mean, she's mm-hmm. she's freaking twenty seven years old, which is insane. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you, in, in person, she definitely like she's very eloquent and she's very smart. So I wouldn't necessarily have pegged her as a teenager, but you know, I've met her three times now and I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed anything over like twenty four. Yeah. So <laughs> the next kind of observation that I know you and I talked about when we did our episode about Civil War, why why is everybody moving doing the giant establishing captions? The other side of that is I really like the way that they do the cell phone stuff. And yeah. at, at at one point, the snail mail, like her mailbox gets a similar treatment. The mailbox is more just a, a kind of neat creative choice that I think allowed them to do some storytelling very quickly by essentially giving us x-ray vision into what was in the mailbox. Yeah. But yeah. The, uh, the cell phone stuff happens throughout the film. And I really, I like when people have a clear and concise vision for kind of how cell phones operate in the world of their movie and how that's going to be depicted on screen. Yeah. Because it's such a big part of our lives right now. And realistically, especially if your protagonist is 17 years old, yeah. uh, it's going to be a big part of their world. So I, I, I like the idea that filmmakers put the thought into finding kind of a narrative shorthand. I think that Sherlock really upped the game on that with the way that they do it. And uh, there's been a whole bunch of other ones. Um, I'm actually every, another YouTube channel that I have to shill for. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem that they're updating anymore. And I think I probably sent, sent you these link, links from these places like 8 billion times, but every frame of painting is a fantastic YouTube channel that uh, kind of breaks down different things in in cinema and how to talk, how to look at them. It's interesting. He's uh, the guy that does them is a, is a professional editor. And, you know, they, they have like a couple ones that are like how to do Edgar Wright, how to do visual comedy, right? It's, it's absolutely amazing. It's, they're also funny. Uh, One of the best ones that like would be relevant to our crowd a little bit more is the, uh, they talk about uh, the Marvel symphonic, symphonic uh, universe, and talk yeah. about how I, I think I've sent you this one. Um, yeah. And they talk about how Marvel is completely and totally lacking a a sco- like basically a a symphonic universe versus DC. However, you, however you might feel about it, DC, especially like the Nolan films, have a thing. But they did. Uh, I'm trying to look for uh, here. It is uh, 
they did a YouTube thing. Yeah, just uh, if you just uh, go to Every Frame of Painting, a brief look at texting and the internet in film is mm-hmm. a really fantastic breakdown of what works and what doesn't when it comes to texting. And and it, it just makes you notice it. the, the things that I, the, the reason I, I bring this up, this, this thing up in this, which is so off topic, is that watching this will make you appreciate films like this that do these things right. Yeah. Like, like the Edgar Wright one will make you appreciate, like, I never knew, I never really noticed it. And, and as a person who went to film school, as a person who studies film, I never really noticed, like, why I like Edgar Wright films. I just yeah. did. But, like, you watch this thing, and it compares it to films like Old School and other kind of, you know, whatever, one-off comedy sort of, you know, forgettable things. And it goes, holy crap, like, the craft, it, it matters. And that's why, like, you know, when, when you're watching films like this, like, even though, you know, I've, I'd say I give this film an 8.5 out of, out of 10, maybe a mm-hmm. 9. Uh, because I just enjoyed it, you know, filmically. Yeah. Uh, but it has it has like moments, and it shows that like this film shows that uh, not kind of everybody involved in the film making process, not even just the the actors have have a lot of promise and have you know have 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 good filmmaking in 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 their mind, which is which is always nice for like you know independent comedies and independent things like this, where like you can make a really cute film and and not really care and it'll get good ratings and and do well enough that, you know, you can make the next, you get the budget for the next film. (laughs) When you're, when you're doing a movie like that, kind of putting in these extra little touches that show that you want to excel and not just kind of, it's not a paint by numbers thing. It's, it's not a, no, nothing in this movie feels mailed in. Everybody is really doing some solid, solid work. Yeah, most certainly. So a couple of other little things. There were two things that really struck me as kind of funny in the uh, the Riverdale of it all, uh, aside from the Missy Pyle thing, which I mentioned early on. But there's a at one point she says something to another character about her father, and his response is, "Whoa, you got a dad!" And <laughs> not only is it a funny line, kind of on its face, but it, I found it doubly funny considering how long it took us to finally meet her dad on Riverdale. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, also one of the things that uh, that they don't tell you about Deidre right away, her middle name is Josephine, <laughs> uh, which, as we know, is Josie's real name. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it 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 should be noted, by the way, that because I was just looking this up, and because the cast is is such a, a hodgepodge of of like people like Missy Pyle, who has, by the way, like search Missy Pyle. On uh, M I S S I P Y L E on on IMDb and look at this woman's like, like look at this woman's career. Oh yeah, dear lord, she it's starting like set two thousand seven. She has like fifteen fifteen things a year. Like this person, yeah. this woman is working so much and like and doing a lot of like really good. I actually also she has a weird. podcast, which is funny as hell. <laughs> Shit, I didn't know that. Uh, like I, I just remember, she was in uh, Harold and Kumar, uh, Escape yeah. from Guantanamo. That's I hate to say it. Like I'm sorry, Missy, but that's I don't know how you feel about that. I love that film, but uh, but like that's where I remember you from. <laughs> but well, like, I mean, it's, it's funny because when you like, even when you just Google her, yeah. uh, the literally the first page, <laughs> and like not all of this stuff is stuff that I love, and I think I, I can safely say that the seven things I'm about to name. <laughs> I don't imagine there's anybody 
who enjoys all seven of them equally. But yeah. the seven things that come up between like her five movies she's known for on Google and two like wikis that pop up are Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Tim Burton version, yeah. Dodgeball, Gone Girl, The Artist, Galaxy Quest, Family Guy, and Two and a Half Men. <laughs> what in the yeah. world kind of career is this? You know, it, yeah, I mean. But yeah, you, you look at her and you look at Tim Blake Nelson, you have these kind of Hollywood veterans who probably are incredibly, incredibly undervalued in terms of what they bring to a movie. Yeah. And then you look at some of the people who are kind of in the mid-range, you know, uh, Ashley, like we said, has, has kind of come into her own now, but they, they had, you know, she was essentially a beginner What by the time they were making this film, but there are like kind of mid middle of the road you know danielle nicolette which is the the woman from the flash that i was talking about yeah who is like you've seen her on law and order she's been around the block a few times in terms of some some movies that people would recognize i want to say kenna mcenroe who plays uh the, the cps person yeah she's about like, like <laughs> she she is the corporate accounts payable nina speaking just yeah. a moment from yeah. Office space yeah um <laughs> And, and and so, like, you have this kind of hodgepodge, like you said, of, you know, the two title characters, Ashley Murray and Rachel Crow, are are literally in the credits as and introducing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you have a combination of, like, indie film people and people everybody would recognize and then random, like, people who, if, if they've worked before, I don't know it. Brooke Markham, who plays Claire, was really good. And, and it's... That's saying something because she is a character who could so easily just not have worked. She's Lainey's best friend. And it's the like, she's fiercely protective of Lainey in the first handful of scenes. Yeah. And then something happens to essentially break them up. And it's like a 180 degree split (laughs) where then you have, she's essentially Lainey's primary antagonist for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And and so so easily a character like that could read as fake or annoying or whatever. Uh she it really it doesn't read that way. It works uh pretty well. And yeah, uh, she, so, and she plays she plays really really well against her opposite. Because like almost yes, every character almost exactly. kind of every character has their their cohort yeah. in, in the thing like the the middle uh the the middle kid has 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 Brooke, I should say uh, Claire, which by the way weird she plays Claire in two two of her roles, but uh but anyway has Claire and then uh you know and then Deidre has uh has uh, Tim Blake Nelson, so it's uh and each one is uh is is really really well paired up I think yeah yeah I I, I agree and and kind of to that point Danielle Nicolette is uh is really good with and i'm gonna take a minute to look him up because it's gonna drive me crazy if i don't but it, with the actor who plays her ex-husband or her ex-boyfriend i don't i don't know if it's yeah. ever established that they were married and they have and part of this might just be because of the fact that i'm re-watching it right now but they have a a chemistry that reminds me of carla tortelli and her and her ex-husband on cheers where yeah I can the, the running joke in the movie is that he's toxic and she hates him on a kind of visceral level, but that she can't get him out of her system. And that, you know, this guy's Chet is the name of her, uh, 
is the name of her ex-husband. He's another guy uh, played by David Sullivan. And Sullivan is a character actor you've probably seen in something, although you might not recognize it right him right away. He was in um, Argo. He was in The New Girl. Weirdly, uh, weirdly though, you might actually, if you're an indie, indie film person, which is my, I guess, every episode I have like one word that I use like 8,000 yeah. times. Uh, aesthetic was last, last week's. Uh, but indie, uh, indie film, uh, Primer, uh, which yes. is a really yes. fantastic film, um, really worth renting. And um, well, God, wow. Okay, yeah. Uh, really <laughs> worth. Uh, I guess it's still renting. So yeah, you can uh, rent it on. Uh, you can rent it on Amazon. Uh, but Primer, highly recommend it. So, like, I think this is one of those like films that was literally made for like they returned the video cameras, so they made it for like twelve dollars. <laughs> yeah, like, some like a metal box. <laughs> um, but uh, he he was one of the main characters in the film, and uh, I actually. Uh, I, he's one of the reasons why the film really, really works. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, which is surprising again, because it's literally his, it was his first film in 2004 yeah. that he did. So and uh, it's, yeah. it's interesting. Cause if you look at if you go to IMDb and you look at his headshot, yeah. he rem- like he just physically looks like the dude who plays mayhem in those horrible insurance commercials. <laughs> uh, uh, the guy from John Wick. <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, I feel bad. I actually like him, but I can't remember that. But <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, but yeah. So Sullivan's a, Sullivan is is a treat in this movie, and his relationship with his ex wife is is kind of funny as hell. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the last note that I had because it speaks to something that you and I talked about already about the location of this movie. Uh, did you notice the name of the actual town that they ostensibly live in? I did not. Well, uh, uh, when you go there, you're supposed to uh, you're supposed to have a, I think it's a, an onion tied to your belt because that's that that was the fashion. <laughs> uh, this movie takes place in Shelbyville. Like the time I caught the ferry over to Shelbyville, I needed a new heel for my shoe, so I decided to go to Morganville, which is what they call Shelbyville in those days. So I tied an onion to my belt, which was the style at the time. <laughs> damn it where's the lemon tree um <laughs> but yeah um and and there is as far as i can tell no shelbyville in idaho um although there appear to be shelbyvilles uh, in adjoining states because if you google shelbyville idaho it gives you driving directions to idaho from both yes. shelbyville tennessee yeah. and shelbyville uh kentucky <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you kind of gave your final thoughts in terms of this being like an 8.5 out of 10 movie. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we uh, uh, adjourn for the evening? The one thing that that just worked, that is just so surprising is that how quickly the, that how quickly these kids work mm-hmm. as a family. You, you, I, I don't have a second, like casting is always a really, really, really hard in, in, in lower budget films, because obviously you can't, you can't be that picky, you know, can't be that picky and you can't really usually build off of, you know, things. And well, and um, you don't have the built in, like if this was a $5 million movie instead of, you know, whatever it was made for, or if this was a more expensive movie, you could hire people who were on a Riverdale like show last season. Yeah. And who like they come with baggage, they come with personality and expectations. You know who they are, and even if you don't know what their chemistry is going to be, you can more or less throw them at the audience 
without much in the way of exposition and say like, here's the type of character that you're in for because that's the person we cast. Yeah. And, and I just, they work so well as a family. Like I'm sold right off the bat that these, that these kids have been living together for however long they've been alive, that Mm -hmm. they know each other, that there's no, and, and, and there's really no introduction. It really no, I mean, there's character development, but there's no like, let's spend some time and yeah, there's there's and, no like, like you know, and, like deal with or that. anything. Yeah, yeah no, like it the, just, they jump right in. They they ain't got no time for anything. Anything. It's it's an hour and forty minutes long, and yeah. it definitely. I don't know. Maybe you could trim off two minutes off of it. <laughs> like, I I don't know. Like probably not. <laughs> yeah, it really it's it's a movie that feels like it makes the most of all of its real estate. Yeah, uh, you know, there you're you're probably right. They're like. If you really wanted to get, like, if, if Netflix said, you know, us purchasing this film is contingent on you getting it down to 90 minutes. Yeah. Probably you could cut, like, five without significantly damaging the narrative, and then it would start to get really difficult. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's a lean movie. It does a lot in its kind of limited space, and we say that both in terms of the amount of time, the amount of characters, everything. It's, it's, it's a small-scale film. And like you said, there's like four sets in the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, so so it really like it, it's a movie that it's really enjoyable. The performances are really excellent, and it makes it makes the most of what little it's given to work with in a big bad way. Yeah, well, certainly. It really does need uh, need to be noted that uh, I, I was searching for the budget information because I, I'm like really I, I'm just yeah. interested in what they did with what. Because it's one of those films that could have been like $3 million, but it could have also been 500000 yeah. I don't think it could be as cheap as like 50000 or something like that just because of the production values there. But uh, the, the title of a uh, um, scpr.org uh, radio interview is uh, Deidre and Lainey rob a train. Director says her leads don't need boy crushes, which I just didn't even... It, it, that was actually really fantastic is because I yeah. just realized, yeah, there's, there's an ex-boyfriend in the film, but there's no, like, she just not only doesn't have time for it, but it's not. Yeah. It's just not on their radar at all. And um, and the, 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 the middle one uh, has none and she's definitely old enough. You know, she's, yeah, I, don't, kid too. I don't know that we actually get to see Lainey interact with any males other than her father and the railroad officer. Yeah, yeah. Because the teachers in this movie are all female, and all of the classmates, or at least all of the classmates who were memorable, were female. And all the uh, and all the teachers were female. Yeah, well, and and, and I guess part of that is the fact that the oh only no, one, not all the teachers, but uh, the the main teachers were. Um, yeah, the one that you care about, the, the one that you pay attention to, at least in the plot. Yeah, well, I mean, and and the other thing is too, when I think about it, Lainey's like the 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 scene where she is in class, her her first kind of main scene away from Deidre at some point about two thirds of the way through that scene, you realize it's not even really a class. It's like a prep session for the, the beauty pageant. Yeah. Which is like super weird. Um, yeah. But, um, but uh, uh, and also it should also be noted uh, that in a, you know, in a year that uh, Oscars were certainly interesting when it came to actually having some more representation on things is that the uh both the 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 director and writer are both women as well yeah um which is 
which is awesome because again, again, like not, I don't know how to say this without end up sounding some weird reverse sexist thing or whatever, but it doesn't like nothing, like nothing in this film. Like you have to kind of be aware of it mm-hmm. to care about it or to notice it. Like the class thing, uh, the, the, the race, any, any sort of race issues in it. It, it's not a film that like ever deals with anything. I mean, like even the mom being in prison, there's no fucking issues with that. Like I really, really enjoy that this film was able to deal and, and have all those things. And even as a person who's super, super social justice warrior, <laughs> yeah. I like, I had to actually think about that stuff because like, if I had just watched this sh- watch this film either on Netflix or on TV or wherever, I would. I don't know if I would have thought of. I, I don't even know if I would have noticed any of these things. But the fact that we're like the fact that I knew that I was going to have to talk about talk about the film is kind of the only reason why I think that I I noticed any of this stuff. Which yeah, is yeah. like which is like big top notch. That's fucking good filmmaking. But uh, yeah, I, I just I, I I think I may up my up my rating of it now that I'm thinking about it even more to like just straight up give it a nine out of ten for for across the board for. Uh, you know, it, it, it's definitely a film I will watch again. Um, mm-hmm. It's a film that I'll recommend now that people need to check out. All right. Well, uh, like I said, why don't <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we we got sidetracked, which happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, why, why don't you uh, give your uh, your information? Yeah. Oh, you, yeah. got, you got plenty of other stuff going on uh, besides Emerald City Video. Yeah, uh, you can. I mean, you can uh, find I'm a, I'm a photojournalist mainly. Uh, you can find my work at zdroberts.com. I also co-host the podcast uh around the lens which you can find at aroundthelens.com um and uh and also obviously on all the you know whatever uh sites that you find podcasts on um but i also uh host a it's turning out to be i think a monthly podcast now um not a weekly uh i've been sick too often to really get into it but uh hence the hacking cough that you may I apologize for you can go to uh, zdroberts.podbean.com for the insurgency usa uh podcast which is uh which is basically a, a political podcast about uh about the resistance against trump and uh you know talking to journalists talking to lawyers talking to uh, activists about uh, what's happening across the country. I'm, as everybody probably knows, Russ Burlingame. You can find me at, at Russ Burlingame, R-U-S-S-B-U-R-L-I-N-G-A-M-E. That's really long, and I'm not going to repeat it. So if uh, if you don't want to, do, if you want to find me, you can do it at ECV underscore podcast. Both of those things are on Twitter. Both myself as a professional journalist in a verified page and the Emerald City Video podcast are also on Facebook. You should check those things out. Thanks for listening, everybody, and good night. Welcome to... See, I already forgot the name of the show. (laughs) (laughs) All right.